You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Yeah, this is our third and final uh, But God series uh, preach. I think it's just a wonderful way to start the year. I don't know about you, it's so easy to start the year thinking, what am I going to do? And what's my resolution? And, and what would I like to achieve this year? And what am I going to sign up for? But actually, the whole purpose of this is to say, but God, we could live our life, but God. And we looked at Abraham, Rich did that the first week, and there was a sense there of, what could God do personally in your life? Abraham and his wife, they were barren, but God came and they had a child. And who knows what God could do for you? Last week I looked at Moses, and, and this was a people, he led a people that had been slaves for 400 years. But God came and chose them and set them free for relationship. And this week I'm going to be looking at the Apostle Paul. And I believe this is all about kingdom advance. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at the word together. Father, we thank you so much that you are often keener to speak than we are to hear. We thank you that we come to a living God this morning. We thank you that we come to a, a, a but God, a supernatural God, who, who didn't just set the world in motion, wind it up and walk away, but is here today. God, we believe you're in this room, and we believe you want to speak to our hearts. As we come to your word now, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray you'd give us the courage to hear you and to obey what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Acts, Acts 16. It's a book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. Some people call it Acts of the Apostles, and this is what the early church did, and other people have named it Acts of the Holy Spirit, because this is basically what God was doing. The book of Acts takes place after Jesus has died, risen, and gone to heaven, and basically we discover what happens in what is now being called the early church. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. The title is not good news. I'm just being clear with you. Paul and Silas in prison. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left. I mean, this is a power encounter, isn't it? He didn't pray. He so knew God, he spoke, he commanded, and something happened. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. 
The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. I find this a remarkable story. I don't know about you, I've read the Bible several times before, and it's so easy to get used to these kind of things. But you suddenly stop and you're just praying through this passage this week. And I thought, whoa. What is God going to speak to us? Well, I guess the first thing that I think is so clear from a passage like this is that Paul was a man on mission. We know that Paul has written 13 out of 27 books in the New Testament. We know a lot about his life. If you look in Philippians, it will come up on the screen. Paul says this, if if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. That's not something we boast about now, but as a Jewish boy, that was it. You'd done, your family had done the right thing. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul felt he was a great guy. And in his society, you think, he, he, was, he was the man. It tells us elsewhere he was a follower of Gamaliel, one of the great lecturers in his day. He was a persecutor of the church. Well, for a Jew, that was considered a good thing because they felt confused about this, this guy called Jesus and this um, religion called the way. 
The first time we meet Paul is when people literally are throwing stones and killing the first Christian martyr, a guy called Stephen. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Where did they give their coats? They laid them at the feet of Paul. Basically, he was looking after them. He was supporting what was going on. He's then off to throw others into prison before you have this blinding Damascus Road experience and God gets a hold of him, literally grabs a hold of it. You wish you weren't sat in the front row now. <laughs> grabs a hold of him and says, I've got a job for you. You are to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so then if you understand anything of the book of Acts, you know that he did what's called missionary journeys. If you have a paper Bible, you can even flick to the back and there are some ordained maps in there which basically show his journey. So I've got this one here. This is Acts 13, verse 4 to Acts 14. This is his first missionary journey. And Paul was so caught up with taking this good news. He was such a man on a mission that he went in all these places to tell people about Jesus. He went with a guy called Barnabas. Then you've got the second map in the back of your Bible, which is Acts 15, verse 36 to Acts 18. We reckon this was from AD 49 to 51. He was now with a guy called Silas. He'd had a bit of a fallout with Barnabas. But again, he's going around telling everybody the good news. Then you get Acts 18 to Acts 21, AD 52 to 57. He does another missionary journey. And there should be another map come up. And you suddenly think, oh, he's going everywhere to tell people about Jesus. There's one final map. I just put that in there, which we think is AD 60, when, when Paul goes to Rome. But if you want to find out what happens there... Read the book of Acts and you will discover that. The passage we looked at today was on the second map. His second missionary journey. Paul was a radical pioneer on a mission. This was the first church plant into Europe. Whoa, breakthrough. There had been a supernatural call of God for him to be there. There had just been the conversion of this businesswoman. You can read about it in the chapter. You see, Paul was a man on a mission. I would like to say to all of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called on mission. Jesus calls us. When he said to the first disciples, he said, come follow me in Matthew 4, and I will send you out to fish for people. He was almost saying, look, this is what you're called to do. You're not called just to be part of a a great community. You're called on mission. The danger is mission has become something the church does rather than define who the church is. I'm really looking forward to this comedian. I'm sure it'd be great on Thursday night. But the danger is, can we suddenly think of something we do? This should be our every life. Everyday life. Who are we talking to? We're caught up on mission for him. C.H. Spurgeon, he was a Baptist preacher in this country. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, he didn't mean that you've got to leave this country and go somewhere else. But he just said, if you're not on mission, you're every day, you are an imposter. God, I find that really quite scary. I wonder if he sat and looked at my week and said, Pete, are you on mission or are you an imposter? I quite enjoy reading uh, an American author by the name of Brennan Mannon. He was a, a Catholic priest, actually, and a public speaker. 
he said this, the litmus test of our love for God is our love of our neighbor. Oh, wow. So we come and we sing and that, but actually if we really say we love God, it will show by the fact that we're loving our neighbor. Paul was a man on a mission. Now, I don't know about you, but I quite like the sense of mission and task. And You know, we watch films, don't we? This is your mission. Should you choose to accept it? And we just think, great. I mean, if you don't accept it, the film's finished, haven't you? (laughs) But the reality is we really want to say, no, come on, this is it. I step in. The second point, I'll be honest, is really challenging. I don't know how much I've ever spoken about this. You see, he was a man on a mission But he was a man of suffering. He was a man of suffering. We sometimes say the safest place to be is in the will of God. But then Paul was never in the will of God because it was never safe. He suffered. He's had the servant girl following him around, shouting at him the whole time. This guy is telling you the truth. This guy. I mean, golly, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, my kids are a little bit older now, so I feel for all of you that have got babies that scream. The reality is, after about five minutes, you think, this baby's doing my head in. Sort the baby out, you know what I'm saying? You think, for goodness sake, feed it, put it to sleep, or put it in the shed. I don't care what you do with it. I'm just finding it's doing my head in. But the reality is, he had someone follow him for days. He's then seized by the slave owners. I don't think they said, oh, would you mind holding my hand and coming this way? He was seized. I think he'd have been roughed up by them. He was dragged into this marketplace. He was brought before magistrates that were meant to do the legal thing, but actually this crowd joins this attack. He has no fair trial, but he's stripped and beaten. He's thrown into prison. He's fastened into stocks. I don't like thinking about this kind of thing on the mission. I'd much rather think I've just dodged the bullet. You know what I'm saying? I've managed to twist around and there you go. I've saved the day. But when you look at the mission in the Bible, it so often involves suffering. Paul writes to the church in the Corinthians. I find this unbelievably shocking he says in 2 Corinthians 11 I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one they weren't supposed to do more than 40 so they only ever did 39 in case they'd miscounted but he'd had it five times Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. You see, this man on a mission knew that there was a call to suffer. At the end of his ministry, 
He writes a letter to a guy called Timothy. You can read it in the Bible. Timothy, we think, could have been 40, considered a younger man. So if you're under 40, you are all young. And what does he say to him? Join with me in suffering like a good soldier. Oh, golly, I'm not sure I want this. What I really want to do is I want to be a Christian and everything go well for me. I want to be a Christian and suddenly find everything's going to be really good for me. But when we read about New Testament Christianity, we see that normal Christianity involved suffering. In fact, in Acts 5, right at the beginning of this book that we're looking at, the apostles, it says, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I mean, if it was me, I might have rejoiced because, God, I got away with it. I think I said that. I might have rejoiced because I'd seen somebody healed and I, that I got out. I might have rejoiced because I, I broke bread and there was thousands fed. But it says here they rejoiced because they were considered worthy of suffering. In fact, in Matthew 10, when Jesus is sending out the, the disciples, he says, look, I want you to go over it. And by the way, not if, but when you're persecuted. When. Everyone who followed Jesus in the New Testament gave something up. But today, we all want to get something from following Jesus. I read a book called The Insanity of Obedience. It's a guy called Nick Ripkin. He says this, avoiding suffering could be the very thing that prevents us from partnering deeply with the risen Jesus. Avoiding suffering could be the very thing that prevents us from partnering. So he's, he's written this book and he's gone around and he's looked at all these people literally all around the world that have, have suffered for the gospel. And he said, God, if we avoid it, we could avoid partnering with God. If all we want is comfort. I read another book. It was called Miraculous Movements. It's about incredible things that God has done all around the world. And the guy, Jerry Trosdale, who wrote it, says this, The Bible clearly teaches that persecution is an integral part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, the New Testament actually addresses the subject of persecution more than it addresses the subject of love. Have I been reading the same Bible? You see, I think, I don't know if any of us would say we've been persecuted. Maybe we'd say things have been uncomfortable. Maybe you feel you've missed a promotion because you've admitted you're a Christian. Maybe you've been felt ostracized in the office because people know that you read your Bible. I think that when we go through difficulties, it is easy to pray, God save us. It's easy to pray, God judge them. But we follow a saviour that when he was persecuted on the cross, prayed, Father, forgive. I think so often we're looking for the easy way that sorts for us. I don't want to get too uh, too sidetracked into the whole thing. I think the book, which I would thoroughly recommend, has lots to say about the whole thing of the persecuted church. There is a guesstimate from one of these books that 70 million people, that's the entire population of Great Britain, 70 million people, they reckon, have been martyred 
in the last 2,000 years for following Christ. Martyred. There's an organization which um, I get emails from every week. As a church, we've given some money to Open Doors. They are supporting the persecuted church in over 70 countries around the world today. I heard a story just this week of a man in Baghdad who, as a Christian, he was discovered as a Christian, they took him into the street and beat him up. Beat him up so badly with iron bars that he was left for dead. He was taken to hospital and literally put in the fridge. His wife and pastor were called and said, the guy is dead. You need to come and bury him. Just this week. The amazing miracle thing, they prayed and prayed. He still had to have three operations to remove the dent in his brain. But he he is alive. But that is going on now. What I found fascinating reading this book on the insanity of obedience, and he's, he's done another book, if you can stomach a second one, called The Insanity of God. Most persecuted Christians do not ask for us to pray that the persecution stops. They ask us to pray that they will have the courage to obey. I find that humbling. Richard Wormbrand, some of you may have read the paperback years ago, Tortured for Christ. He said this, this was in Romania. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. He was in prison for being a Christian. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted there, this was the communist terms, It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. I thought, what a take on the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? He's suddenly saying, actually, we're so committed to doing it. The persecution would have stopped if he'd have stopped preaching. But the thing was, we're not going to stop being obedient to Jesus Christ. I find it fascinating, even Paul and Silas. I mean, at midnight, they've been beaten, they've been stripped, they've been humiliated, they've not had a fair trial, and what are they doing? They're singing hymns of praise to God and praying. Os Guinness, he's an English author and social critic, says this, The story of Christian reformation, revival, and renaissance underscores that the darkest hour is often just before the dawn. So we should always be people of hope and prayer, not gloom and defeatism. God, the Holy Spirit, can turn the situation around in five minutes. And I love that because actually there's this whole challenge. And it's almost like I'm saying he was a man on a mission. He was a man of suffering. But, but God. This is a story where we see God break through. There is an awesome God, man. You know, Hollywood surely could, could make a film of this. You know what I'm saying? Suddenly the place is shaking. This earthquake comes. The foundations of the prisons come. The doors are flying open. The chains come loose. Oh, I love this sort of breakthrough moment. But do you know what I find most fascinating? They don't use their freedom as a means of escape. They use the freedom as a means to spread the gospel. I was thinking that, you know what I'm saying? 
If that had been me, I'd been beaten up. God, you're on my side. Bunch of cretins. I'm out of here. <laughs> That's Greek cretin, in case you've never heard it before. <laughs> you know, there's this whole thing, isn't there? You'd suddenly say, God, they don't deserve me. They knew who I am. I'm a son of the living God. I'm free. God's on my side. Touch me again, and I'll have a lightning bolt for any of you. That's not Paul. That's not Silas, is it? I'm free. Free to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. The jailer doesn't just listen, doesn't just pray a prayer. He serves them. He has a meal. He invites others. He knows joy. This is what I call amazing kingdom advance. Paul is caught up on this mission. He pays this price. But God breaks in. I've got some uh, pictures coming in of, I believe, other men that have seen the but God. Hmm, who's this one? <laughs> this is St. Patrick. Yeah, if you know what all these sort of paddy days are, celebrating green in the middle of March. St. Patrick, they reckon, slaved in Ireland for 30 years. He saw 300 churches planted and 120,000 new believers baptised. This was a guy that went to a nation to tell them about Jesus Christ. And the but God kingdom advance came through St. Patrick. The next one, but God. Anyone got a clue who that one is? Duncan Campbell. Duncan Campbell, I believe this one is. I hope now I'm, I'm not telling you lies. He was in Scotland. When they saw revival in Scotland, he said this, do you know, 75% of the people don't even get saved in the church because God is so powerful, they get saved on the street before they even get to the church. He said, oh God, would you come and touch our nation? Would you come and touch our nation? The next one. <laughs> I'd get saved if that guy looked at me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You suddenly think, golly... This was a guy called Charles Finney. Charles Finney in the States. He was desperate for God to come. It was in the 1800s. He starts praying, 1857. Do you know he saw 50,000 conversions a week? They reckon by 1859, within one year, one million Americans had given their life to Jesus Christ. It was in a population of 30 million. And so they reckon today it would be like 10 million Americans getting saved and an additional 10 million being set on fire for Jesus Christ through this man's ministry. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes. Who else we got up here? Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts did a crusade in Wales and absolutely nothing happened. <laughs> he prayed for 11 years and then saw 100,000 people saved within three months. They said in the end that you could not keep account of what God was doing because of so much was happening in Wales, in the church and in the street. These were people that were on mission, that suffered, but saw the breakthrough of God. Next one. Ah. Question. Who could be next in there? Who knows? I heard a story just this week 
of two people that were knocking at a very remote house in Afghanistan to talk about Jesus Christ. As they knocked on the door, they said, which is often in these sort of more Muslim countries, you know, have you had any dreams or anything? And this person said, oh, yeah, actually, I've had a dream. Could you interpret it for me? Oh, tell me all about you. Well, I've seen this person in my dream who keeps dictating to me, and so I've been writing down all that they've said to me. Please show it to us. When they showed it to them, it was the Gospel of John. And this was in a language that the Gospel has never, ever been written in before. Because somebody was saying, but God. I want to know, why couldn't your face be in that circle? Why couldn't it be that God could do something to us? Why couldn't it be in 2019 we could say that we understand we're caught up on a mission? We recognize there's a price to pay. But who knows what could God could do through us? D.L. Moody, he was an evangelist in the 1800s in America, says this, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. You see, I believe that our but gods will come because we get a hold of those journals and pray. You see, this whole transforming prayer, it's not just, oh, we've never quite done meetups like this before. It's not, oh, we've always had a bit of our own choice, but now everyone's going to pray. We recognize that we are dependent upon God in prayer. And so the whole thing is, actually, wouldn't it be great? Let's not all have this choice about whether or not you want to play football or squash or, or whether you want to do some Old Testament survey. Why don't we all pray and then think, but God, who knows what God could do? I mean, obviously, it could be the comedy night. could be taking a friend to Alpha. It could be bringing a neighbor to church. It could be praying for somebody at home. Who knows? Let me ask a couple of questions. Are you on mission for God? I'll put this one to myself, but I think it's probably true. Am I running from suffering for him? Will I believe for a but God moment so that my friends come into a relationship with him? Ultimately, we are not called to emulate the life of Paul. Paul emulated the life of Christ. You see, he came on earth on mission from God. We know that, don't we? He said, I do what the Father tells me to do. You know, I I see where he's working and, and I get involved. I submit myself. I'm on mission from him. We follow a saviour who ultimately suffered and died for us. Literally, death. Whipped, rejected, humiliated. He knew suffering. But actually, we follow a saviour who sees the biggest breakthrough there ever is. The light of dawn when you've been placed in a tomb. Resurrection from the dead. And so my challenge to us is not, will we follow Paul into a but God, but will we genuinely be more Christian, more like Christ this year in 2019? When we say, actually, I surrender to you. I'm caught up on your mission. Help me pay whatever the price is. 
that I could see some breakthrough for you and your kingdom this year. It'd be great to pray. It'd be great to pray right now, wouldn't it? Because we believe if God has spoken to us that we don't want to be those that just idly rush on and forget about it. We want to be those that come and say, oh God, give me the courage. We seem to have a theme this morning of making people stand. I think we'll do it now. If you recognize that you're on, on mission for God, if you recognize that you need strength to pay a price to suffer in whatever way for him, if you recognize that you're looking for a but God moment in your friends this year, I'd ask you to stand and we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for these three stories we've looked at these three weeks of a but God. Lord, normal lives, but God has come in and something's happened. God, today we want to come and say, God, would you do a but God in us? Lord, let us live with faith. Lord, we we thank you for jobs and homes. We thank you for transport. We thank you for family. We thank you for ideas and strategies and plans. But we do say we long for a but God. We long for this sense of in faith we trust in you. Long for this sense of call on mission. Give us courage to pay a price. Lord, for some even today, what, tithe? God, that's going going to impact my life. Whatever the call is that you're speaking to us about this morning, I pray you'd give us that courage to say, all for you and your kingdom course. And I pray, O God, that we'd see kingdom advance in our own lives and amongst others. We pray, O God, for for stories in this country of people that have had dreams and come to know you. Lord, we thank you. We read literally of around the world how many people are turning to Christ. We long to see more of that in healing. God, please use us for your glory, we ask. Amen.